Hello, I'm Jake. And I'm Matt. And we are Cantrip Cartel, proud members of the Planes Talkers Podcasting Network. We're here to talk everything magic, from vintage all the way to standard. I'm going to pass it over to our established legacy veteran, Matt. Hi, I'm Matt. Uh, today's episode, we're just going to just going to be an introduction for me and Jake to kind of help you get to know us, give you a good reason as to why we should follow each other, or why you should listen to us. I've been playing Magic since uh, Tempest, or Mirage, I think. My uh, buddy Derek Smith, who is co-host of the Family Gathering podcast, got me playing Magic when we were in middle school, in sixth grade. We started playing during lunch. So uh, one of my biggest, one of my earliest Magic memories was playing Fire Elemental and attacking Derek with it. Since then, we've been playing, you know, that was in 1997 or 8 or something like that. I don't remember exactly. Uh, we played at lunch every day. We had a good group of friends. Um, it was me, Derek, Joe, Brian, Mike, and Ryan. So we just played Magic and six-player we had a six-player Megapod at the lunch table. Just play yep. what you got. It was basically proto-EDH where it was just play what you had, borrow cards from each other, attack whoever pissed you off the day before. <laughs> the way Magic was meant to be played. Correct. Um, so we started playing like that. Uh, as we grew up, when we got into high school, we started playing um, in that, standard tournaments at Friday Night Magic and whatnot. I was going to say, that's Garfield's magic right there. Yes, that is how Richard Garfield wanted magic to be played. Then we graduated into more serious magic. We were playing standard when Urza Saga came out, so we played standard during the Urza Saga, the combo winter situation. We played through Marcadian Mascus, which was just awful. <laughs> just one of the lowest... Like, going from Saga to Mascus was just a joke, because, like, all the cards sucked. I mean, it's just... Th- yeah. There's a few cards that see play now, but in the standard environment, it was just off. It was 15 years ago, and people still talk about it. Right. From there, you know, obviously, as Magic progressed, we kind of went along with it. We used to hold our own tournaments. Uh, we'd get any of the Magic players in town to come over, and uh, we'd play in each other's basements and whatnot. So there'd be, you know, 10 to 15 of us, and we'd have a tournament, and... Uh, We'd have we we'd actually have the entry fees and whatnot. You paid ten or fifteen bucks, whatever it was, and the winner would there be like a cut for top four who'd get money. Um, one time, I saved my lunch money for weeks and bought a box, and the the winner of the tournament got a box. We did stuff like that. So after we all kind of went our separate ways after we graduated high school, we we still keep in touch. We got into more serious magic. At least I did. Um, started playing Legacy. For that, I was playing EDH quite a bit with some buddies of mine, including Jake. Uh, and then we started playing Legacy, and I've been playing Legacy and EDH pretty consistently for the past uh, four or five years now. So Magic has been your life. Like, you yes. like you grew up, you formed, like, your formative years it was Magic. Yeah, I've literally been, I've literally played Magic longer during my life than I've been alive without it. Yeah. You know, I, you know I've been playing since I was... 12 or something like that. I don't remember. Again, I don't remember exactly. It's probably pretty important to you. Yeah, it's been a pretty important part of my life. So that's kind of who I am, what I've been doing. I still read about magic every day. Obviously, we're doing a podcast, so we care about it to some degree. When you listen to me, you're going to get some older opinions. So, like, I, the tradition of magic is important to me. So, like, I like the old train cards, and I like older cards are more important to me than newer cards and you're going to hear me talk about power creep a lot because mm-hmm. I've been dealing with it forever you know riding the waves of combo winter and then the Marodin issues and stuff like that like it's I've lived through all that stuff and so I don't really like when that happens again and I can kind of see that coming and stuff like that so that's that's kind of where I come at 
that's where the perspective you're going to get if you're hearing me talk about stuff. I think it's a really important perspective too because you are a large percentage of Magic's fan base is people that have been doing it for a very long time. Yep. And I think Wizards sometimes doesn't listen to that side of the fan base. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's a, you always need new blood because people are going to be filtering mm-hmm. out of the game. So it's actually very important. That's one of the things I kind of disagree with a lot of the old heads. They they think Magic should be geared strictly towards its, current, its enfranchised players and, you know, getting new players in isn't nearly as important. And I would disagree there. Yeah. Magic dies if no new people start playing it. 100%. Even, even if no one ever stopped playing it and they played it till they died, that puts a 60-year timeline on Magic yeah. currently. And every year, someone sells a collection to buy a house, to buy a car, right. to pay medical bills. So new players are very important. And one of my favorite things, I've done it to multiple people where I introduce them to Magic and I get them playing. Like, it's one of my favorite things to do is teach people how to play Magic and teach them, you know, why you should do things, not just not just the rules of the game and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of where I come at things. What about you, Jake? So, I'm Jake. I am uh, the Magic Newbie. Once upon a time, I had more money than I have now. And then a friend of mine, who I met through work, introduced me into Magic. And not just the rules of the game, but, like, how to play the game and why and what you do and, and got me into like competitive magic and, and high end magic uh, his name's Matt yep that's me he is a big reason my bank account is the way it is sure am but I am the resident legacy and magic newbie so I played a little bit of magic in high school in like 2010 2011 the same magic Matt played when he was in middle school the we run what we brung we just put cards in decks. I remember casting Oracle of Moldaya and flipping ten cards because it says you can put lands into play from the top of yep. your deck. Nobody knows exactly what the we didn't know are. what we were doing. Yep. So I took a break uh, when I went to college, as a lot of people do. Yep. And then Matt ran me down at work one day and said, "Hey, do you want to spend a lot of money on a hobby?" And I said, "No." And he said, "Well, you should. It's a lot of fun." And he was right. Yep. So we started playing a lot of EDH. I remember the first thing that got me back into Magic. Uh, the first deck I played after... The first deck I played for real, actually, was your Ghoul Caller Gissa deck. And that was the first time I saw some of the power of Magic, where you guys were helping me through, because I didn't know how to play Magic. Yeah. And you were showing me, like, oh, you know, if you do this, you can do that. And, you know, you tap Gissa, or you sacrifice this creature, and... Make 10 zombies, make 15 zombies, make 20 zombies. And just my eyes opened. I went straight to Walmart. I bought... The Ur-Dragon, which was uh, the new commander deck at the time, played that, made a lot of upgrades. I remember the one part of my Magic career that sticks out the most to me is when I started playing Magic, I was very frugal. Because Magic was a hobby, it wasn't a collector's thing, it's just a fun yeah. thing to do. And Matt told me that what would help my deck a lot was Tooth and Nail and Chromatic Lantern. And I remember we went, to the, we went to the card shop, and they said chromatic lanterns are like 8 or $9 at the time. And I was like, that's a lot of money for a magic card. Sure is. And then Tooth and Nail was like $25 at the time. And I was like, I'm not spending $25. I think I might, I'm never spending $25 on a magic card. That's what we all say. Fast forward <laughs> about two years, two or three years. Now I own a legacy deck. I'm buying a modern deck. I have multiple dual lands. I have play sets of fetches. Um, but I bring in the brand new player aspect to the game. I have not been playing for a very long time. The old cards are cool to me, but they do not hold sentimental value. I do not hold a lot of cards in reverence like many players like Matt do. Maybe yep. even like I should. Mm-hmm. But that is the viewpoint I bring in. I'm definitely a spike at heart. I love playing Magic. I love playing Commander. But I really enjoy the competition side of it. 
Um, I get a little too frustrated sometimes. I take it too seriously sometimes. But I really enjoy sitting down and trying to play my deck the best I can to optimize my chance to win. Yeah, and uh, taking the game seriously, like, I want my opponent to care whether they win or lose. The Mm -hmm. game's a lot more fun. You know, if you can control your salt a little bit, in general, that makes you a better opponent and a better player. You don't want to tilt whenever somebody does something that affects your board. That's where I'm getting. I went through a phase where I got frustrated and I was losing. I I was playing poorly. It wasn't just losing. It wasn't this abstract thing. But I've started to rein that in and realize that, like, the game has to be fun. Being frustrated is fine. But tone it down a little bit. Deal with it on your own. And that has that's where I'm kind of in my magic career is moving into these hyper competitive scenes like playing vintage online, playing legacy and paper, and yeah. trying to play the decks to their fullest, which is tons of fun. You can do some stupid things, and then you know live with it when your deck beats you. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes your deck beats you. Sometimes you're just paired against an opponent who just really knows what they're doing and they're yep. going to kick your butt. Sometimes yep. you just punt. Yep, <laughs> I've punted. That's there's an old uh, saying. The, uh, the master has failed more than the, the apprentice mm. has tried. Yeah. And that's one of the things you really have to get used to in Magic is you're going to lose games. There's no avoiding that. So you just need to just leave the salt at the kitchen table yep. where it belongs. And then, you know, you're going to be a better player in the long run for that. You're, gonna, you're mm. going to punt. You're going to punt less often. You know, when your opponent removes your key combo piece, the answer there isn't to get frustrated and you know, get tilted, the answer is to then solve the the next puzzle of mm-hmm. how do you win from this point. Yep. So, you know, that's just something, you know, newer players, typically speaking, have to deal with. Because magic is so fun, people get really invested in their yep. decks. They really take it personally when they win or lose. And some of the some of that has to be, you know, you just have to leave that by the wayside. As you yeah. get as you go on in the years playing Magic, you'll, you'll become a better player. Your friends will enjoy playing with you more. You'll be more excited to play too. Like I know for me, when I started taking the game too seriously, and you're gonna lose games, a professional win rate is fifty seven percent. Right, if and you're playing if, against people of relatively the same skill level, you should yeah. be winning a little more than half the time. If so you're when good. you start losing half the time, and you get so frustrated that you're losing all the time. You stop wanting to play because all you think about is the frustration you have at losing and not the fun you had at almost winning. Because yeah. those, like, those games are the same. When you just lose, you also almost won. Correct. Yep. And if you can start to look at the game that way and even approach your losses as an opportunity to get better at the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's actually very difficult to look at a win and analyze that and go, I actually could have played better. But if you look at a loss, mm-hmm. like people have trouble doing that. They have trouble looking at a game they won. They go, well, I must have played that perfectly because clearly I won. Yeah. The Whereas person who lo- wins is the best. Correct. So if you, you know, people have a really hard time with that. But if you lose, clearly you did something wrong. Mm-hmm. So it at least gives you an opportunity to go back and go, well, I actually, I played the, long, the wrong land on turn one. Yep. And I wasn't able to cast my the I mean, correct spell on turn three. And that set me back for the, whole, for the whole game. How often is the mistake you made mulliganing poorly? Correct. Like, that's the one that I miss a lot. Because I look at a lot of games I play. And I, I can run through the turns in my head. And I can go, the game lasted six turns. I mean, I played those turns optimally. Like, I think I brainstormed correctly. I played the creatures at the right time. I had counter magic when I needed it. And I still lost. And the answer could be, what was your opening seven? And should it have been six or yeah. five? Could you have gotten a better six? Yeah. And... Like, a mediocre, especially in hyper-competitive formats yep. like Legacy, a, a mediocre 7 is, is oftentimes, depending on your deck, 
way worse than a good six. Exactly. So yeah, if you're playing tuned magic, I mean, if you're playing draft, yep. I think with draft you're getting a little more into quantity over quality because yep. your cards are all kind of bad. But yeah, when you're, when you're playing tuned constructive magic, there's a lot of times where you can get a way better six than this kind of crappy seven. Yep. And, and that the, extra card is not going to matter. And the thing that people don't realize a lot there's two there's two aspects of mulliganing. One is the the way you think about it is you don't have to mulligan, you get to mulligan. And if you can work that into your way of thinking, it will completely change your outlook. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to keep that bad seven. You get to mulligan and try for a better six. And the the, the better they make mulliganing with these new rules that have been changing, the more true that becomes. Yep. So that's true. And then And the more powerful the format is. As you as you step back in time, if you're playing standard you're mulliganing into weaker cards in general. If you're playing modern, you're mulliganing into more powerful cards and then legacy and vintage. The more the older you the farther you go back, yep. the way more powerful those mulligans become and I certainly did not recognize that. Right. And then the second thing would be you need to be able to identify when that 7 doesn't win you the game anyways. Yep. So it doesn't matter <laughs> Like, if you have that seven-card hand, if you're not going to win that game, why would you want to keep it just because it's seven? And the same goes for six and five. Like, you need to look at these hands and go, do I even have a chance at this? Would six cards get me a better chance at winning? Would five? Yeah. Presumably, you have an idea what your deck is trying to do. And if you look at those seven cards and go, this doesn't do what my deck wants. Like, if you've got seven good cards, but they don't do what you want to do... Maybe you shouldn't keep those seven right. cards. <laughs> and that, you know, there's certain decks that mulligan better than others uh, in Legacy. You know, Show and Tell mulligans pretty well. It's mm-hmm. got a lot of individually powerful cards. Elves is a very weak mulligan, uh, a deck that mulligans very poorly because yep. it's a critical mass and synergy deck. So, you know, you need to know that aspect of your deck as well, whether you, how often you should mulligan, what's the kind of threshold of what a good good hand or a hand you should keep mm-hmm. versus a hand you should mulligan is. You're going to have to learn that stuff, and a lot of that comes with just getting reps in with your deck, which is something yep. a lot of people don't want to do. Yeah, you, just, just grind wanna, through. People want to do their homework at the tournament as yep. opposed to doing it at home and grinding their matches. Oh, my gosh. putting in their reps and learning their deck. I finally started before... I've played, like, four or five organized play in person. I finally started making sideboard guides, and it, it, it takes so much, like, work off your brain to go into your sideboard and be like, I can look at my piece of paper and go, I'm playing Delver. I already spent 15 minutes thinking about this. Yep. Like, doing that homework is so much more important than you think as a new player. Because it's like, I know how to play against Delver. It's Delver. But you get into a tournament, you've got five minutes of sideboard, people are looking at you, you just lost because you're kind of so you're kind of upset. Yep. And it's like, oh, I should have taken my forces out and I didn't. Or I took out three instead of two. Or I sideboarded one extra card in. And doing the homework is super important. Correct. And... Even the process of going through something like making a sideboard guide, you will understand your deck better. You're going to actually sit down and think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you sit down, if you're prepping for a tournament, you get your deck list together, you need to look at each card. Why do I have this card in here? Does it, you know, help my deck? Does it push me towards more wins? Then you look at your sideboard and you do the same thing. And if you're writing down a deck list guide, you're going to act, or a sideboard guide, you're going to actually think about those things yeah. rather than just putting in them in because you you know you saw you went to a website and saw well you know yep. this guy this pro ran these 15 cards and you you may not even know why yep. you put well my 15 card sideboard is exactly like his why didn't I win because he knows when to put those cards yeah. in and what to do with them and you don't it's and side- you never even thought about it sideboarding is so much harder than like watching even watching a streamer 
when they just like whip, whip cards around, sideboarding is so much more complicated. Yeah, than it's it looks. one of the most important, uh-huh. like crucial things for tournament play. If you don't sideboard correctly, you might as well not even show up. Yep. So as you can tell, Matt and I have a bit of favoritism played towards Legacy. So it's probably our favorite format to play, maybe yeah. other than EDH. Yeah, it's a, definitely my favorite competitive format. Yeah. But the podcast that we want to start here is going to hopefully encompass everything magic. We don't want to miss any magic news of any kind. We want to talk about the vintage restrictions that got, or or the modern unbannings, new cards coming out, anything news coming up. We want to cover everything magic because we love it so much. We live it. Yep. We're going to view a lot of things through the eye of a legacy player, and we're going to throw a little more favoritism towards legacy sometimes, but... Magic is a really important part of our lives for different amounts of time, but total, we love the game a lot. Yep, we love it. We spend dozens of hours every week talking about it, playing it, mm-hmm. reading it, building decks, watching streamers. We just, you know, we want to talk about it. Yeah. And I think we have a, a unique perspective that we look at things with. And Yep, I'm sure some people out there are thinking the same things we're thinking I don't hear a lot of them talking about it. And so I want to be, I think Matt does too, be the voice to these players that are like kind of in our boat with the way things are going and the, the decisions Watsi makes and the way tournaments shake out and all kinds of stuff. Yep. So you're going to hear some criticism for the way Watsi handles things. You may hear some, you know, we're going to talk about metagames, whether or not we like them. Mm-hmm. You know, we may disagree with other people or with each other. Yep. But the flip side of that is you will not hear anyone praise Wizards or anyone else when they do something right more than me. Like, yeah. I've been so, I am so wrapped up in magic that when they knock it out of the park, I'm ecstatic. Because that literally makes my life better, not just the game. Mm-hmm. So I get very excited about good magic news, but I also, you know, take it pretty seriously when yep. there's bad news in magic we, as well. I hold them to a high standard. Correct. Because they're the company they run is very important to me. Yep. I mean, it's very important to me emotionally and financially. I have a lot of money wrapped up in this, and that is not their problem, but it changes how I view some of the decisions they make. Yeah, it's definitely our problem. It's definitely our problem, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, being able to talk about that I think will be a, a worthwhile thing. I think that's the going to be the gist of it for our opening trailer. This is going to be kind of how a lot of our episodes go. Because we, you know, this was not on the script. Yep. But this is what we talk about and we kind of bounce from topic to topic. If this is the kind of thing you enjoy listening to, just two guys that love magic talking about magic in kind of sporadic ways, we really hope that you come along for the ride and stick with us as we try and build this into something Bigger than bigger than us. Yep. We don't have aspirations to quit our day jobs. We don't have aspirations to do this full time. I just want to build a community of like-minded people that love magic and want to see magic be its best self. Yep, agreed. So, other than that, check us out on Facebook at Cantrip Cartel. Yep, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Cantrip Cartel, and all of those. Uh, make sure you follow us on Spotify. And uh, basically anywhere podcasts are found. The Apple Store. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. I think that's it. 